from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Sort of uh, like a dinner party almost, I think. It was a lot easier to like test the process and I just hadn't done croissant dough from scratch before. The workshop or restaurant idea, they have an idea, they don't have necessarily the plan in place for how to launch it. It's something special to me. Um, I really enjoy cooking an ingredient that most people usually tend to say that they don't enjoy. Let me do a private chef job and then do this as my creative outlet. And some people did it out of necessity. I'm Elaine Cha. Sauce Magazine's first issue of 2023 includes a feature called Ones to Watch. Among the four chefs chosen as, quote, food and drink pros with promise, two are doing their thing with pop-ups, an approach that's adding fun, excitement, and flavor to the St. Louis food and drink scene. We'll be talking with a couple of those chefs today, but to whet the appetite for that, let's get some perspective on the appeal of pop-up dining from the eater side. And here to offer that perspective is Mira Nagarajan, executive editor at Sauce Magazine. Mira, it's great to have you on the show again. Thanks for having me back. For those hearing the term for the first time, what is a pop-up? I would describe it as a non-traditional dining experience. Um, Some pop-ups exist because it's an idea that somebody is working on that could be a restaurant concept. And so they might partner with an existing restaurant on on the day that they're closed, move in there, and do their pop-up restaurant. Um, Sometimes the locations change depending on what's available to that person that's conducting it. Um, could be a regular thing, could be spontaneous. Um, so really, it's I just like to describe it as non-traditional because it really could be anything. It really suits the need of the person putting it on. So it's highly flexible. Yes. Now, the last time you were on the show, we were talking about Best New Restaurants of 2022. And you had said then that the experience of dining is for you really key Yes. to enjoying food, and you've just you know described pop-ups kind of more like a, an experience more than a place, although place does play a part. What is it about pop-ups that you like? I think they tend to be on the more intimate side, given the fact that the staff is probably pretty small and usually space is limited. So I think it uh, you you might usually find that it's a very convivial atmosphere where people are kind of socializing even though they don't know each other and never met. Um, sort of uh, like a dinner party almost, I think, is what the feeling I get is in most pop-ups that I've gone to. And what's the most recent one you've been to? I went to... Uh, you know, I can't remember. It's been a bunch of pop-ups, but the the one that I'm I'll tell you the one that I'm really excited to try is Place and Time, which is all about a specific literally a place and time. I think in January they're doing or in February they're doing France in the mid 1790s. So I think like things like that are make it really exciting. Those sell out so fast. So um, you really have to be on the lookout when they make an announcement, usually on Instagram. Just try and get a ticket as fast as possible. 
Now, the roots of pop-ups, they do go back to mid-20th century. So it's not something that's brand new, Mm -hmm. and not all pop-ups are the same. What is it about the approach? M.J. Stewart and Brandon Panish were two of Sauce's ones to watch. What is it about their approach to to pop-ups that's different or noteworthy from that diner's perspective? Well, I think what Brandon is doing with... um dinner at the loft and his partners um, that he's working with there. I think it was it came out of the need to do work. I think where he was working at the time, they were downsizing their staff and this came out of, you know, wanting to work and wanting to cook and um, for a chef, if you're if you're looking for a job and you can't find one, especially during a pandemic when all the guidelines were shifting and it was difficult to find steady work all the time, it became a necessity. And so I think that was really, you know, one of the examples of like the pandemic pivot. And I, I think it became popular and their comp, the, the way that they're working together, they each bring different strengths. So I think that was like a really great collaboration to see. Mm-hmm. What MJ is doing, I think is exciting because there's all different kinds of pop-ups. There's cocktail pop-ups, there's like, you know, coursed out dinners. She's doing elevated fine dining pastry. I think that's really exciting, you know, multiple courses of dessert. I mean, that's pretty, um, it's, it's not the norm. So I think that's really, really exciting to see her be creative in that space and, and kind of bring something to pop ups that aren't really popular here. So that's really cool. We'll take a quick break here, but we'll pick up this conversation about pop-ups with two of Sauce Magazine's Chef Watch in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Now back to our conversation with St. Louis chefs popping out with pop-ups. One chef whom Sauce Magazine has named as one of the ones to watch is MJ Stewart, restaurant expediter at Bowwood by Niche in the Central West End and maker of fine dining pastry. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Your monthly dessert pop-up at Brass Bar is called DNFT. The F stands for a word we can't say because of FCC regulations. (laughs) So for now, I'll say DNFT means do not fudging touch since we're talking about desserts. Is that F in there because you're making desserts that are that good? How'd you come up with this name? Um, So... DNFT has kind of been something I've learned throughout the restaurant world that pastry chefs have to write on their prep because we create all the tasty treats and everybody wants to eat them. So I've gone from servers to executive chefs 
you know, grabbing their hands into my thing of cookies that I need for an event later that night. And I'm like, now I'm off by four because somebody decided they needed to eat four cookies today. So if it says DNFT on it, most people will be like, oh, that's serious. Do not touch that. That is for that is counted out. They know how many things are in there. If we take one, they'll know. So it just kind of has been a theme throughout restaurants of different pastry chefs that I have worked with or have gone places, like even on Instagram stories of, you know, people in restaurants. I'll see a little thing that says DNFT on a thing of cookies for the kids menu so that people don't eat them. So that's where the idea came from. So it is both a warning and a promise. Yes. It's like my inside joke to pastry chefs. Okay. In a sense, too. Yeah. (laughs) Now, DNFT offers a three-course all-dessert tasting menu as well as a la carte options. What about the pop-up form, MJ, helps you do what you want with your food? So working as a pastry chef in a restaurant, you have stipulations, obviously. um, And depending on what restaurant you're working in, you know, sometimes like, There's, you know, when I worked at Yellow Belly, it's a seafood restaurant. You want to work with tropical flavors. And then you not only have to think about that, you have to think about the clientele that you're preparing for. And that's literally part of your job is like you have to know and be on top of what those people want so that it will sell. And with the idea of a pop-up, it allows you to kind of, you have creative control. You don't have to appeal to the masses. You're kind of taking the ideas in your brain and putting them out without any boundaries. Luckily, I don't have any. Gerard's been really great with that. Um, So I'm able to just come up with ideas in my brain and put them down and not have to worry about, well, will these people in this part of the city, will they be open to that and paying this much money for it? Mm -hmm. And instead of that, people are coming to my pop-up to just see what I have, which is kind of fun. So it's a way to, for me at least, to explore my culinary identity to figure out like, what I like best and what goes together and explore. Mm -hmm. And in that exploration, is there a whole pastry or pastry element that you've been able to develop through DNFT that might have been, you know, much more difficult to test in the sort of traditional setting that you've described? Um, Well, there are obviously a lot of things you can do simply because it's smaller scale than if you had to do it for a restaurant. Uh, But for example, in my my last pop-up had a croissant element to it. And if you're, you know, working in a restaurant that serves 200 people a night, you can't really put croissants on, like, house-made croissants on the menu unless you have, if it's just you. You know, that's too much work with all the other things you have to do. So having, being like, this is for 80 people in one night, it was a lot easier to, like, test the process. And I just hadn't done croissant dough from scratch before. I'd done Danish dough and other things, but croissants are their own monster and also people are very into croissants these days and they're making their way into different shapes and different fillings and so it was fun to at least work with the dough and get that started in the proofing process figuring out where it's going to proof it in that kitchen and so that was probably the biggest element that I've done so far that was something I couldn't do in a restaurant normally. Now another sauce magazine chef to watch is Brandon Ponish executive chef at Winslow's Table in University City, who also wears multiple chef hats. Brandon, your pop-up, Dinner at the Loft, is straightforward in a different way than a DNFT. (laughs) That's 
very literal. It is dinner that's served uh, at a loft. I think it, I read that it's your own. Uh, it's my best friend, uh, Elliot Brown's Elliot, loft. Your partner's, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, your partner in this project. Yes. Um, in Midtown St. Louis. Now, what foods are you serving there that's different from what's available at Winslow's Table or anywhere else for that matter? Uh, well, it all comes down to just, you know, what the what the guest is looking for. We uh, figure out what they enjoy and what they really don't enjoy, uh, stuff that they're, they're excited about. And then um, we go to the farmer's list, what we have available from uh, local farmers and then from there, we write the menu and present it to the guest. And if they enjoy what they see, then um, we pretty much just cook it for them. And um, the menu, we, we usually take and send to George, our uh, mixologist, Jordy. And uh, he does the cocktail pairings. And if people don't want any um, alcohol, we also do um, NA um, pairings. And uh, it's just fun for all of us to sit down and kind of just collaborate on everything with what we have available and different ingredients we're excited about. So those who've RSVP'd then, are are they indicating what it is they would like to try and then you're working with those um, with those ideas? Mm-hmm. Or if, if they say they have a dietary restriction, I we see. go from there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And NA is the, the non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholic, yeah. That, that is definitely coming up a lot yeah. more these days. No, something that is a little less obvious from the dinner at the loft name is that diners around the one table at your pop-ups, yes. which you advertise via Instagram, um, which uh, Mira Nagarajan, who's executive editor of Sauce Magazine, who's still with us here, had mentioned earlier that the people who are dining are sometimes strangers to one another. Yeah, yeah. What has that been like for you as a chef? It's very comforting. Because um, growing up, I have a I have a very large family. There's, you know, I have four little sisters, me, mom, and dad. And sitting down every single uh, night to eat dinner it was, it was very uh, it was very nice. And to continue to do that for other people and create that environment for people to just enjoy themselves with a nice cocktail and some delicious food and meet someone new, it's it's very fun. And just not just cooking, you're also creating the atmosphere. You and your partner. You mentioned earlier uh, Elliot Brown. You started dinner at the loft um, from a place of uh, of great change. And Mira, you had mentioned this um, earlier. And it was after losing your jobs at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic um, in 2020. How did that shake up professionally affect the way that you've approached dinner at the loft? Um. It gave us a lot of uh, comfort and just being able to um, put things on a plate and put ideas on paper and make things happen. We're both very busy bodies, so we can't just sit on the couch for weeks on end or even days on end. So being able to put our art onto plate and have people satisfied is, is what really pushed us and um, allowed us to kind of see a lot more of our strengths as chefs and our weaknesses and work on both of them. Mm-hmm. Now, MJ, you'd mentioned the croissant as something that you'd be able to do. Is there something that uh, for dinner at the loft that you've been able to make that might not as easily be made um, in a traditional kitchen? Ooh, that's a hard question to, <laughs> to answer. We've so, we've done so many things. It's, we'd, uh, we, we, 
are able to use the kitchen at Winslow's here and there, but um, we mainly, you know, stick with doing things on our own. Um, but it's just coming into equipment, you know, trying to figure out what equipment we need to buy. And over the over the process, we bought fryers and circulators and things that allow us to, you know, elevate our dishes. But there's not just one, I would mm-hmm. say. Is there a, a dish that you have made through this pop-up that has been particularly popular? Uh, I'm known to cook with mushrooms. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's it's been something that I usually do for every dinner because it's something special to me. Um, I really enjoy cooking an ingredient that most people usually tend to say that they don't enjoy. And I personally didn't used to enjoy mushrooms. And now I know how to prepare so many different types of mushrooms in many different ways. And it's fun to use unique ingredients to bring it all together and change someone's mind on, a, on an ingredient. We're speaking with Brandon Panish, who is the executive chef at Winslow's Table in University City, as well as MJ Stewart, restaurant expediter at Bowwood by Niche in the Central West End. Uh, she also makes fine dining pastry. This is a question for both of you. Um, MJ, if you can take this one first, how do you assess how your food is hitting with diners? Um, I kind of... That was part of the reason I chose Bras Bar. Honestly, it's a small enough space that you can really get the feel of how everybody feels in the room if they're having a good time because that kitchen pass is so tiny and in the middle of the room. Um, For those who don't know, it used to be taste if you ever went there to Mm -hmm. see it in your head. But um, so really I can be plating desserts and look up and watch different tables, see as you know, their reactions as a dessert get placed down, whereas normally, you know, a line would be off in the back of a restaurant and you don't get to necessarily see food hit a table and see people's reaction to it, watch their first bite. So as I'm plating, I get to kind of watch that and gauge the energy in the room. And so far it's been going well and people seem to be having a good time. So I'm happy. (laughs) Brandon, does any of that resonate with you? Yes, absolutely. Um, It's... Usually you can, they're pretty vocal about it whenever they take the first couple bites or you see the plate at the very end, it's completely c- clear. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty obvious. Yeah. Mira, as a, a diner, is there any pressure that you feel to kind of respond more vocally or immediately when you're trying something in a pop-up space where there are, are fewer people? I personally don't feel that way, but I do think that if you're a diner that's buying a ticket in advance to attend a pop-up, chances are you're going to be happy. You're already primed for like enjoying that experience and being adventurous in that way. So I feel like, you know, the the person putting on the pop-up and the ticket holder have their interests aligned and kind of primed for like a good experience anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's a safe space, I feel. You agree? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Absolutely. Yeah. And delicious. That's a bonus. MJ, your job right now, your day job, doesn't involve pastry making. Correct. Uh, where do you see yourself going with fine pastries in the future? Um, that's actually something I've been thinking about a lot um, because part of the reason I started the pop-up is because I felt like the pastries and desserts that my brain came up with didn't really fit into any restaurants in town at the moment, especially in a, you know, post-pandemic world. People are just now starting to move out of the all I want to eat is comfort food 
and move back into, at least from what I've seen, move back into a more adventurous dining headspace. Um, so I would like to think that, you know, right now I'm very content with it as a pop-up, but if it does get bigger, I think it would probably evolve into some sort of space of my own, but I'm not rushing that process because, you know, I don't do pastry as my day job and it's kind of nice to have a separate space for work, home life, and creative. It keeps me very balanced after, you know, three or four years of not knowing what's going to happen and constant anxiety with COVID and all of that. So right. so it's a, a reintroduction in a way and like a reacclimation to to what is happening. Yeah. Brandon, you'd eventually like to open a restaurant mm-hmm. named for your mother, yes. Lorianne. What will you definitely carry over from dinner at the loft into that future restaurant? I would say the atmosphere, creating a place where you just feel really comfortable and welcome and and it's always just a great time. Um, and the attention to detail that we do, um, uh, a lot, of, a lot of just, just making sure that people are just taken care of because that's what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. Mira, on the front of you know what Brandon and MJ are talking about, um, the industry, the way diners have been making their choices about what they want to eat and where they're going to do it. Um, and then finding work where you can, and particular kinds of work. Would you say that, uh, in your experience as as a diner and as the executive editor of a, a food magazine, that chefs are seeking more personal and creative fulfillment in this moment? I mean, I think that's hard for me to answer specifically. I will just say, from what I've observed with different chefs approaching pop-ups specifically. Some people are doing it to workshop a restaurant idea. They have an idea, they don't have necessarily the plan in place for how to launch it. Some people are doing it for a creative outlet like MJ discussed. Some people are like, I'm tired of working the grind of like, you know, every day working in a restaurant. And they're like, let me do a private chef job and then do this as my creative outlet. And some people did it out of necessity. So I think it it just depends on the circumstance. but I do think what it allows for everyone is this free, this freedom and flexibility to have this experience and share it with people. And I feel like if you're a chef, that's generally like what you want to do. And maybe the circumstances doesn't allow for that exactly as you envisioned it. But I think this is a kind of path forward to, you know, letting you explore what the options are. Mm-hmm. Brandon, when is the next dinner at the Loft and how can people get in on that? We do not have one scheduled for February. We um, are actually working with Brennan's Working Leisure right down the street on Locust. Yes. Um, and we will. We are actually sold out. We have one scheduled for the 26th for 20 people. So we're trying to find ways to where we can cater for more people than just eight at the loft. Mm-hmm. Um, so just keep a lookout on the Instagram. And uh, pr- probably within the next week or so, we're going to start working on February's menu. And... Um, then post from there. And what is the Instagram account? Uh, Dinner at the Loft. Okay, straight up that way. Straight up that way. And is there anything that you can reveal about what you will be making on the 26th? I'd like to keep it a secret. Okay. 
<laughs> Understood. DNFT on that one. MJ, how about you? <laughs> when is the next time you will be doing your pop-up and what might people expect to see in front of them? Uh, so my next pop-up is actually in two weeks on January 18th. Um, it was rescheduled. Bras Bar unfortunately had some water damage um, over the holiday break. So I actually will be permanently relocating my pop-up to Posteria Deli and Wine, uh, which is used to be niche. So it's the first kitchen I really worked in. So it's still like a great home place for me. Same kind of vibe where you can see the whole dining room. Um, so January 18th from 5 to 9. And my theme is essentially visions. Um, I want to make a dessert that looks like one thing, but when you cut into it, it's something different um, and something unexpected with multiple layers. So like one will hopefully look like I'm gonna make a sugar dome so it looks like a snow globe um, that you get to like crack and then open up and then the, it'll be all white, but on the inside it won't be. And then um, I'm gonna have one that hopefully will look like a beach scene. So it'll be like vision as in an oasis and then you cut into it and it's gonna be different flavors from the colors you see. It sounds like it would be a shame to eat, <laughs> to eat the dishes. <laughs> well, uh, we're so glad to have gotten a little bit more information about what you all are doing, and it's it's pretty clear why you have been identified as a couple of chefs to watch this year. MJ Stewart is restaurant expediter at Bowood by Niche in the Central West End and maker of fine dining pastry. Brandon Panish is executive chef at Winslow's Table in University City. He also wears many uh, different chef hats. And Mira Nagarajan is the executive editor of Sauce Magazine. Thank you for whetting our appetites uh, this lunch hour. Thanks for having us. For Thank having you so us. much. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.